It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey guys, it's Sophie here, producer of the Vice Guide to Right Now. I just wanted to let you know that we're taking a short summer break this week, but we're still here. We've chosen four of our favorite episodes from the archives for you to listen to. So here's one of them. I hope you enjoy. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. I'm Sophie Casas. This month, we're featuring stories from Vice Magazine's April publication, the Dystopia and Utopia issue. And today, we're talking about America's digital divide and how, for a lot of people, poor internet connection is more than just inconvenient. It's an issue of equity. Some days, all I want to do is unplug. I'm sure you can relate. From my phone, from my computer, and most importantly, from the internet. But for nearly 8% of the country, their concern is completely different. These are the people who currently don't have access to any high-speed internet. And it adds up to more than 24 million Americans. Many of them are living in rural and tribal areas, although some urban communities are affected too. In every single state, a portion of the population doesn't have access to broadband, and the effects of this can be huge. According to Vice journalist Kaylee Rogers, the reason these communities have been left behind are as diverse as the areas themselves. So here's Senior Features Editor Caitlin Kelly speaking with Kaylee on the story. So, uh, Kaylee, you went around the country reporting on the digital divide in America. Um, For people who haven't read your story yet, uh, why don't you start by explaining what the digital divide is? Right. So a lot of people don't realize that there are millions of Americans that don't have access to high-speed internet, and a percentage of those people don't have access to any kind of internet at all. So there's all these people living in America, you know, that has these amazing cities that are fully connected and and doing all these innovative things. And yet there's people that are left behind that have worse connectivity than some developing countries. And so what specifically were you looking at in your story? I wanted to compare different communities that are lacking access to show how they have some similarities and some differences and some of the different barriers that they have to access. So why is it that they don't have the internet? Is it just cost? Is it physical limits? Is it people don't want it? What, what are sort of the barriers that are set up that's preventing them from getting the internet that everybody else has? And what are some of those barriers? Well, distance and, and being rural is a big part for a lot of it. So to run the infrastructure that creates the internet as we know it can be very expensive. And if you're running it, you know, you're running fiber optic cable somewhere that's very far away, maybe it's mountainous, Maybe it's got a lot of trees and rocks. And then once you get there, it's a tiny town with only 50 people in it. That is not going to be a really good return on investment for an ISP. So they're private companies. They're there for profit. And it just doesn't make much profit sense for them to build all this infrastructure to serve a small number of people. 
So you went to three different towns, one in West Virginia, one in Michigan, and one in California. What kind of went into you selecting those three places? It's really interesting because when you start covering this topic, you realize that it's everywhere, like it's across the United States. You might think, oh, it's only in like Alaska or very far flung places, but there are parts of New York that don't have good connectivity. There's parts of every state where there are are individuals that don't have access to high speed Internet, every single state. So you can kind of pick and choose. I, I should have maybe chosen somewhere a bit warmer, but I decided to go to the mountains of West Virginia and rural Michigan and Northern California, so not even warm California, but I was talking to those people because they were connected to me through sources I already had in this beat, and I thought that they each had really interesting stories that exemplified some of the different problems that are caused by and and preventing internet connectivity. So what were these three communities like? So they were all really beautiful in their own way. The community I went to in West Virginia was in the eastern edge of the state, in the mountains, you know, gorgeous switchback winding roads, forest, small town, just really nice small town feeling community in a lot of rural areas, a lot of agriculture. In California, again, it was in the mountains, but I was driving for hours to get to the top of this mountain range where I was visiting with an indigenous community that's lived there for generations. And this is their home base. Again, a small town, small tight-knit community that's just surrounded by these huge mountains and a winding river. And then in Michigan, it was interesting because the town I went to was just outside of Ann Arbor, which is a big technology hub. It's got lightning fast internet. They have the university there. But if you get just outside the town where I was, all of that disappears. It's you know much more rural. There's farms, there's countryside, and there's no internet. What were some of the stories or one of the stories that really stood out to you most or surprised you in some way? One story that really stood out to me was a woman that I interviewed in Michigan. And so the community I went to in Michigan was really close to Ann Arbor. But as soon as you get outside the city, all of that infrastructure dissolves away and it's really hard to get any kind of internet access at all. And one woman that I spoke with when I was there and I went to her house and it's a beautiful property but she has to pay $450 a month for her internet connection. Now, she has a pretty good connection that she pays more for because she has an at-home business, but even with that expensive connection, it can be spotty sometimes. She uses all her bandwidth for her work. She doesn't have a Netflix subscription because she's like, it would eat up my bandwidth and I wouldn't be able to, to do my work. So she's spending all this money and just getting like basic internet that we take for granted here. You know, personally, I like to go on vacation and get away from the internet. And I think some people are, you know, seeing more and more people are like, I'm logging off for a week or for a month or for forever. Um, So those people might think this is great. You know, maybe the digital divide isn't so bad. Why might not that be the case? I think the big difference there is that those people are choosing to disconnect for a period of time. It's not that they don't have access. And not having this access causes a lot of problems. You know, there, there are problems with people not being able to get education, not being able to get certain jobs, not being able to contact family members that are far away. And all these things that we you know, take for granted, they don't have the access to, and it's really limiting these communities and holding them back economically. There are people in each of the communities I went to that live off the grid, and they choose not to be connected to the electric system. But that's their choice, and they've made that decision because that's how they want to live their life. It's not that they don't have access to electricity, which we would find unacceptable. And so for me, internet is the same thing. They should have that ability to join and all these communities should have all the opportunities that, you know, the big cities have. And then if, if people do want to have a little cabin in the woods with no internet and no electricity and no running water, you can still do that. That's your choice. 
Uh, what are some people doing to try to fix these issues? There's some movement from governments. It sort of depends on the state, how much they're investing in it, and what they're looking to do. One of the biggest solutions that I've found is community-run internet. So it's basically like the town takes a tax or, or a levy of some kind to build its own internet infrastructure, really high-speed, top-of-the-line internet, and then it runs it like a utility. So the people that are subscribed to it still pay a monthly bill, but it's not for profit. It just is to keep the system running. And because it's not for profit, they're able to invest in really high quality infrastructure and just keep it running. It's just self-sustaining. Whereas, you know, an ISP obviously wants to make money off of that, which is a lot harder to do. So I think that's a really interesting solution. And a lot of communities are trying to pursue that, but they've had some trouble because big telecom really doesn't like that. They don't want this to be a common phenomenon. They don't want to be competing against the government who, as I said, doesn't need to make a profit. So they're very concerned about it and have been lobbying against it. And there are some states, like in Colorado, for example, they passed a law that says communities can't do this unless they first have a vote to overturn the state law to like exempt themselves. So it's basically just setting up an extra barrier. And a lot of a lot of towns in Colorado, like the majority of towns have actually gone ahead and done that because they just want this so bad that they're like, fine, we'll do this extra step. We'll have a ballot measure to overturn the state exemption. And then we can actually talk about it. So people are pushing back. It's a really good option. But there's been been some difficulty getting headway on it. Has anything changed since Trump came into the White House? Trump has spoken a lot about rural broadband issues, which is a good sign, and has signed some executive orders setting aside money to invest in rural infrastructure. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of action. It's been more talk so far. Because so many of Trump's support base are in rural areas, I think he does have an awareness that that's something that's really important to them and he needs to be pursuing. But like I said, unfortunately, so far there hasn't been a ton. There's the Connect America Fund, which is run by the USDA, and it provides funds to states and to communities to build infrastructure. But unfortunately, if you look at the track record of that fund, it's largely gone to big telecom and they they aren't very efficient with how they use the money. So it hasn't made a huge dent in the number of people that are still lacking access. Taking a, a different track, you've been covering the digital divide for a while for Motherboard. What are some of the challenges of writing and reporting on this topic? One challenge I come into a lot is people not people not understanding how big of a deal this is. You know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, so you can't get on Facebook in the country, like get over it. Or, you know, if you want these economic opportunities, then move to the city. Why do you have to live out in the country? And they just don't grasp how big of a barrier it is, like how bad it is to not be able to get online, to not have all these economic opportunities. And the fact that, that people do live in these areas and, and they're just as deserving as anyone else to be able to have access to this technology. It's really limiting. And, and there's so much that's moving online with government resources and filing your taxes and all these things that are easier and more efficient if you can do them online. And if you don't have access to that, you're just like screwed. You're trying to do stuff through paper and you're going to the library to get information. It just puts everybody back like 10 years. Working on this piece and writing this deeper dive into these three different communities was a really good experience for me. I got to learn a lot more about the problem, see how people are trying to work towards solutions. And I think did a really comprehensive story of what this looks like in America. So hopefully people that have never even thought about it can read it and get a good sense of how big the problem is. Make sure to check out Kaylee's full article in Vice Magazine. And the online version will go up next week. 
on vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.